This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I am the Compliance Director at Lipscomb Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee. And I have with me today, Stacey Barrow, our ERISA attorney. Hey, Stacey, how are you? I'm good, Sarah. Thanks. So, Stacy, I want to talk about ACA penalty letters today. Um, this is something that's been going on for a couple of years now, but I think as time goes on, we've seen a couple other letters added. Uh, we started with one, and now there's a couple others that are in there. And I thought it might be helpful just to kind of break down what the letters are and what employers should do. So, First, I'll back up and I'll explain that. So I think most people know by now that um, the ACA reporting applies to employers with 50 or more full-time employees plus full-time equivalents. If you are under common ownership and your combined counts exceed that number, it applies to you as well, whether you are over 50 or not. So the ACA reporting that's been around for a couple of years, if you ignore it, it can result in penalties. And the penalties can actually be applied twice, once for not supplying a form to the IRS, and then again for not supplying the form to your employee. But there are also these 4980H A and B penalties that are related to either not offering coverage to 95% or more of your full-time employees, or that are related to individual employees of yours who have gone out and received subsidized coverage from the public exchange. And usually that's because either the employer didn't provide coverage to them or what was offered was not affordable. So, Stacy, I want to start with the 226J letter. So can you explain what this one is? Yeah, the, the 226J letter is the IRS's enforcement um, or proposed enforcement of a pay or play penalty. So, so like you said, um, the employer is getting this letter because the IRS believes, based on the employer's form 1094C and 1095C reporting, that they either didn't offer coverage to at least 95% of full-time employees, and at least one employee received a premium tax credit or they offered coverage to at least 95% of full-time employees, but some of those full-time employees did not receive an affordable offer of coverage, and one or more of them went to the exchange and received a premium tax credit. And so this letter is imposing the penalty based on whether you are falling under the 95% rule or the unaffordable coverage rule. So, if someone gets a 226J letter, which I will say by far, at least from what I've seen and, and fellow colleagues have seen, is the most prevalent, um, are you th- are they mostly accurate? Do they come with errors? Like, is the IRS just sending things out and expecting the employer to provide all the corrections? Or have they done their research and they know that what they're sending out is definitely going to... Uh, assess penalties? No, I I think the vast majority of letters are going out due to a mistake in the reporting. And unfortunately, it's not really 
the IRS's mistake other than to have created a very confusing form or perhaps misreading a form. But in most cases, it, it is um, the preparer's mistake um, on the form that results in a letter from the IRS. And the vast majority of them, of, of course, are resolvable in very large part because most employers did offer coverage to at least 95%. Sure, they might have had some affordability issues, um, but you know when you get a letter for half a million dollars um, and you've, you know you've offered coverage to your full-time employees, you can be you know, sure that you're going to get that reduced to a much more manageable number, if not zero. So the first thing I usually tell clients when they share the letter with me is don't panic for exactly the reason that Stacy is saying is that I think that's what I've seen is that the letters that come out are exactly what's come to them. And uh, interestingly, I think that the way the question about offering coverage to the 95% of your full-time employees on that 1094C form, I think it is poorly worded. And so, you know, whether people answered it thinking they were answering it correctly or not, the question didn't seem to be asking what it was really asking. And so a lot of times that can be cleared up right off the bat. Um, So let's move on to the 5699 letter. I've had a few employers get this one. And this one goes back to the did you file and you should have filed kind of thing. So can you explain this one? And, and also explain um, how this one seems to come about. Like, how does the IRS know to even send it? So, yeah, this one can be even more concerning than a pay or play letter that we usually have pretty good answer for. And this one is, is where the IRS believes that you should have filed the forms, but it has not received the forms, essentially. Um, and so... Uh, there are a couple of, of kind of pat responses for this that make it go away. You know, one is, is yes, here we did. Here's the electronic transmission number um, or here's a copy of the forms. Another one is, you know, we, we filed under another EIN um, and that can kind of resolve it as well. You know, you want to get it done correctly, but, you know, the IRS understands the first few years, those kind of things might happen. And so that usually, um, you know, gets to go away. They don't need you to refile. But if for some reason um, you should have filed, then you will need to prepare those reporting forms or there can be significant penalties. Um, the IRS, you know, usually if you respond timely to the 5699 letter, they won't assess penalties, but sometimes those letters come already with a proposed penalty assessment if they haven't heard from you. Um, and they'll make up their own calculation of how many employees you have. And if, if you ignore them, it's going to be on the high side. And there's going to be, you know, they're going to assume you didn't offer coverage. They're going to assume you didn't send the forms. And so the penalties can look really significant and you have very short time frames to respond. Um, so we do recommend, you know, with all these letters, um, you have counsel respond. We're very efficient at responding to them. We know what to say. Uh, we know what the IRS wants to hear. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be timely with these. And, and so that's the 5699 letter. Um, you know, the IRS has their own algorithm for figuring out who's a large employer. Sometimes they're wrong. And you could say I was not an applicable large employer that year, but 
um, if you were, you're going to have to piece together the the reporting, and it, it can be, um, you know, pretty burdensome if you're trying to piece together, you know, what what you what you did in 2017. Well, and there's a time frame too. As I recall, those 5699 letters give you 90 days, and so you have to either supply the um, like you said, the the link or the the acceptance number for the transmission, or you've got to redo the forms and get them all back to the IRS in 90 days, which can be a little overwhelming because, like you said, you're going back two years and trying to pull all the information together. So, um, okay, let's move on to the 972 CG letter. I've only seen a couple of these, but and it was mo- more recently. But tell me about these letters. Yeah, these are another. Um, this is another set of letters that um, is really troubling, um, and you, you do not want to receive these letters. Um, these are letters that are sent when an employer has failed to file timely, um, or file electronically when an electronic filing was required. When you have two hundred and fifty or more forms, and this is a different group in the IRS than the pay or play group. Um, and we don't know how easy these will be to get waived. Um, you know, in with these letters, um, you know, they're they're proposing significant penalties based on either again failing to file with the IRS or with employees. Um, it's a pretty short time frame for turnaround. And these are the first letters that we've seen for this particular issue under the ACA. So again, we don't really know how the IRS is going to react to um, an excuse like, well, I filed late because you know we had some quality control issues. We wanted to make sure the forms were good. A perfectly reasonable, I think, um, you know, answer as to why, you know, we didn't file on time. You know, we wanted to make sure they were correct, right? We're late by 30 days, big deal. So we have seen penalty letters because a client was less than 30 days late. Um, they're proposing, uh, I think it's $30 a day, $50 a day, or, um, or for, per form, I should say, not, not a day. Um, but they, they add up quickly. Um, if they're late by you know more than eight months or so, the penalty is around $250 a form. Um, so again, we're happy to help respond to these. You should engage counsel to respond, um, but we don't know how lenient the IRS will be um, uh, when, when evaluating whether an employer has reasonable cause um, to, to get a waiver of a late filing penalty. So let's assume an employer receives one of these letters. What are some of the first things that they should do? Um, you know, certainly uh, take it seriously um, and look at the time frame they have to respond. It's it's forty five days. It's fairly tight, and they should talk to counsel immediately. Um, you know, either their internal counsel or their tax advisor or us. Um, you know, anyone that has experience dealing with the IRS and um, can help put together a reasonable cause statement, um, because that's what it's kind of going to to take to um, to respond. It's not as easy as the 226J letters where you say, oh, you know, we did in fact offer coverage, sorry, you know, and the IRS says fine, and they 
take penalty away. This one, you really have to come up with some articulable reason as to, you know, why the filing wasn't timely. And, you know, did you act reasonably before and after the filing? Were your other filings on time? You, you want to build a, a nice, you know, record for yourself and case for yourself. But, um, you know, we, we just don't know um, how they will, will react uh, to this, this first round of letters. So I have some employers who really think that they can talk to the IRS directly and that they can resolve everything themselves. And I know you're saying certainly in the 972 CG situation, maybe in the 5699 as well, you really should talk to counsel first. Do you think that that's an okay option for the 226 J's where they're trying to resolve maybe some mistakes that were made in the filing or something like that for them to reach out directly? Or is that not a good idea? Um, we always recommend having us reach out. I mean, we have handled hundreds of these letters. We know what to say and what not to say. An employer calls up and gets talking. You never know, you know, what they're what they're going to end up saying to the IRS. Um, you know, it doesn't take us very long to respond. If a client wants to try the first crack at it, you know, they're, they're welcome to. Some of them are pretty straightforward, but, you know, not not always the case. Um, and, you know, you, you don't want to waste uh, an appeal, essentially. Um, I have seen, I've had a number of employers that, you know, for whatever reason, wanted to, to do the first practice themselves or have the local attorney take a, take a stab at it. And many of them have come back after and, and had said, you know, our, our, they didn't take our first response. Like it's, it's almost like they, you know, they, they didn't even get it. Like it just, they, another penalty letter came same as before. Like, well, you know, let us, let us help. <laughs> uh, so we, you know, that's, that's where we come out on it. Definitely. Okay. And I would agree with that. So is there anything that employers should not do? I guess the most obvious would be delay responding, but is there anything else that they should not do when they get these letters? Yeah. I mean, don't delay responding. Um, And with any of these things, just be timely. I mean, that's the best advice I can give, you know, for, for going forward as well with, you know, as if you're, you're 2019 reporting, you're gearing up to do now, uh, make sure it's out by the deadline. In the past, you know, I might have said, make sure it's correct. You want to make sure it's right. You know, and if it's a couple of days late, don't worry about it. I think now, though, I'd rather just get it out and make sure that you've, uh, you've, you've gotten it out timely. Um, so... Okay, interesting. Um, that's, that's our recommendations for this season. Okay, great. Well, so if you do receive one of these letters and you would like help in responding, as Stacy said, he and his team are definitely able to help and they have a good track record and lots of experience in working with these. So you can reach out to me and I can help you get in touch with him. Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at LPinsurance.com. Um, if you want to listen to our topics on anything else ACA related, we've got a lot of different podcasts in our library. So please be sure to check out check one of those out but stacy thanks so much for explaining all of this to us and uh, we hope everybody has a good day